Let's welcome Alicia as she comes to speak tonight. That would be great. Fantastic. <laughs> Janet, would you just pray for Alicia? She's... Yes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your um, wonderful presence tonight. We thank you that you've touched our hearts. And Lord Jesus, we, we do thank you that for all that you've done. Um, we just pray for Alicia tonight. We just pray that as she gives your word, it will touch our minds, our um, hearts most of all, and that whatever she says, Lord, you will just um, fill, her, fill her with your love and your strength and your word, and we will accept all that she brings to us through your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good evening. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Um, uh, I've got two confessions to make. One is we did the garden yesterday, uh, and I can barely walk today. <laughs> so there's a lesson in that. Leave the garden alone. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the second thing is, we, uh, we, when I accepted uh, this uh, appointment today, uh, we, um, we weren't running an alpha course on Sunday afternoon. Now we are. And, and our Alpha course finished at quarter past five in Littleover. <laughs> so I would, uh, no, I, no, I, the applause goes to my husband um, who drove me here to get us here in time. So thank you, darling. <laughs> um, so I feel a bit um, underprepared, but um, I, I, I bring what I have to you in faith. Um, our, our reading is from uh, 1 Thessalonians. So if you've got a Bible with you and you want to follow, then please do. Other than that, if you want to listen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. Actually, should we pray? That would be good, wouldn't it? I know Janet's prayed, but... Lord, I give to you um, what I've prepared, and I pray, Lord, that you speak through it by your Spirit. Amen. So, it says this. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed God is our witness. We were not looking for human praise, not from you or from anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For we know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you to his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. 
For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they will always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Amen. As Christians, we are called to be disciples of Jesus. To be a disciple is to be a follower. But we're also called to be apostles. Did you ever notice that, that before um, Jesus died, they were disciples, and then after the resurrection, they became apostles, ones who are sent. So we receive the word of God, uh, we come to faith, we follow Jesus, and then we are sent. We often talk how and why we are disciples and how we do all of that, and we talk about how we are apostles, But sometimes we forget to talk about how we are called to disciple other people. And that's what I want to think about tonight. The call on us to guide, encourage, mentor and inspire other Christians who need someone to walk alongside them in their faith journey. Has anybody ever done that? Have you ever done that with anybody else? Help them to find out more about what it means to follow Jesus. There's an image we talk about in Alpha of a young Christian who visits an old friend who's been a member of the church for many years. The new Christian is struggling with coming along to church. He thinks he can be just as good a Christian if he just does his own thing with God. Silently, the older guy gets out of his chair and moves towards the fire, the coal fire that's burning in the grate. And using metal tongs, he he, he retrieves a red hot coal from the middle of the fire And he places it on the tiled half, and then he sits back down again. After chatting for a while about the ins and outs of the young man's argument, he draws his attention to the coal on the half. Not glowing red anymore. It's gone back to almost black. And he asks him to pick it up and put it back into the fire. As soon as he does that, the coal begins to glow red again. The wise man has not refuted the younger man's arguments, but rather with a simple illustration has shown that the passion of his faith will remain when he is surrounded by others. When he removes himself from that place of the fellowship, then his faith will go cold very quickly. I don't know how how it is for you, but you might want to think today about whether your faith is in or out of the great. If you're out, then how are you keeping your faith alive? And if you're in the fire, what impact are you having on those around you? In Acts 17, we read that Paul and Silas and Timothy established a church in Thessalonica. But the local Jews are not best impressed. 
and they cause a riot, which means that Paul and Silas have to leave very quickly. The new fragile church that remained would have come under fire from their neighbours, bad-mouthing Paul and his motives. So Paul's letter back to the Christian community in Thessalonica are heartfelt and emotional. You could hear it in what he was saying, couldn't you? Local people were likely telling him that they'd been abandoned and Paul needed them to remember what encouragement and support he had offered and how proud he was of them for keeping the faith. And he keeps, he's encouraging them to keep their focus very firmly on God and not merely appeasing their probably very grumpy neighbours. Paul is walking alongside them, albeit from a quite a distance. How is that for us, do you think? When somebody is bad-mouthing God or saying that the church is terrible, and I have to say the church has done some pretty grim things over the years, do we keep quiet and hope they'll stop eventually? Or do we say something? I know many of us are really quite British, aren't we? Or is it English? And the very idea of confrontation fills us with horror. But imagine if it was your child or parent that was being torn down and vilified. Might we be swifter then to defend them? What might you say to defend God from those who speak with mistrust or a lack of respect? Steve used to work on building sites. He was a a carpenter. You still are a carpenter. You are. You will always be a carpenter. He always says, you did Jesus' first job and I do his second job. Um, but Steve worked on lots of sites, and when he came to faith, um, sometimes challenging the behaviour of some of the guys on site could be a bit tricky, couldn't it? Particularly their use of language. Uh, and uh, you would get asked all sorts of things in the cabin, wouldn't you? But I loved it. You came home the other day, and one of the guys used Jesus' name as a swear word. And you went, oh, just a minute. And the guy said back straight away, without pausing, yeah, yeah, I know, he loves me. (laughs) So it's interesting that when you do jump to God's defense, people remember. They remember. People says that God has entrusted the gospel to us and that we are to live as people who please him rather than others. I'm going to say that again. God has entrusted the gospel to you and me. And that we are to live as people who please God rather than please other people. This is a high calling and not for the faint-hearted. Is it easy? No, it really isn't. But this calling is for all of us. Regardless of whether we've been a Christian for a long time or we're quite a new Christian. That calling to live a life that pleases God is at the top of the list. Jesus came to show us what life with God could really be like and then was crucified. One of the girls at Alpha came and she said, I watched The Passion of the Christ this week. It was horrible. Has anybody ever seen that film? Should have kept looking for Mel Gibson. I couldn't find him. No, darling, he directed it. (laughs) But do you know Mel Gibson is in that film? He's the one who holds the nail that goes, that is the first nail that's driven into Christ's hands. He said, because it's my sin that put him on that cross. So I needed to hold that nail. Jesus died in appalling pain, but then he rose to a new life. 
And that resurrection broke the power of sin and death over humanity so that we could know the freedom of forgiveness and a life of eternity with God. Not just when we die, but now. This was a high price for him to pay for our restoration. And in return, in thankfulness for what he's done for us, we are called to live in a way that pleases God. When you love somebody, you do what pleases them, don't you? You know, I've got a particular dress that Steve loves. I quite like it, it's all right. But I know that if we're going out somewhere and I put that dress on or those shoes, he'll go, oh, you look nice. (laughs) I do things to please him. He's my husband. I want to do that. When we love somebody, when we love God, we live in a way that pleases him and not just ourselves or we don't just live for the comfort of other people. Because we do, don't we? We're people pleasers. Anybody else a people pleaser? Want people to like me? Like me. But the reality is sometimes we have to live in a way that challenges other people and that can make them grumpy and it can be difficult and it can make them uncomfortable and it can make us feel awkward. But the reality is we are called to live a life that pleases God and not them. The call to live in a radically different way is a testimony to what God has done for us. If you had been rescued from certain death by an individual, wouldn't you do anything for them in return? Given a second chance, wouldn't you want to live in a way that makes a difference to other people? This is our calling when we see, when we call ourselves children of the living God, to live a life that pleases him, brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we do that, we engage with the world around us And we stand up for what we believe in. We champion justice, respect, care and love, all in the name of Christ. We live as friends and followers of Jesus because that's what we are and we need other people to see it too. And that's what being an apostle is. Ones who are sent, ones who go out and do, ones who show that being part of God's family makes a difference. And we are sent because that's what Jesus did. If you go to the end of Matthew's gospel and you have the Great Commission and he says, go. He doesn't say, stay at home, absorb all this loveliness for yourself and don't tell anybody else. We don't keep it to ourselves, we live it out. In his letter, Paul talks about how much he cared for the church, how he loved them so much, how he shared the gospel and his very life with them, how he tried not to be a burden to anyone. And he uses very particular language. In verse 7, he says, We were as young children amongst you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Verse 9, surely you remember, brothers and sisters. Verse 11, we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children. What does this language say to you? It's about family. You don't become a Christian in isolation. Uh, A friend of mine's been doing uh, Slimming World. Clearly I haven't, but she has. But she opted to do it on the internet because she said, I didn't want to go to any of those wretched classes or anybody else to know what I weighed, so I did it on the internet. She's lost 16 pounds. Marvellous. Excellent. Well done. Well done. (laughs) But you can't do that as a Christian. A friend of mine um, uh, belongs to Pixel Church, P-I-X-E-L. This is an internet church. Lovely. Why? (laughs) Why? 
I don't understand it. She loves it, but I don't get it. Why would you not want to be in a church with other people? Family. When we become a Christian, we join a family, hopefully a church family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. We are united and together. Can I just say, you might not always like your family. You can choose your friends. You can't choose your family. Sometimes they might get on your wick. But we have a commonality. (laughs) It was that a bit of yoga, absolutely, going on, okay. But the reality is we are the... We, are, we have something and someone that holds us together. And that's God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, holding us together. Regardless of language or what style of church we may do. I don't, I, I'm a Church of England vicar. I used to be the rector at All Saints in Sorley, which is how I know uh, Janet and how I knew Paul. Uh, and I'm now a vicar over in Littleover. I, I am kind of Anglican. But I love being allowed to come out to play with the Elims, so thank you for having me. (laughs) Whatever style of church we do, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us may have come from very dysfunctional blood families. Mine was pretty dysfunctional. Some of them are lovely. Some of them are just... But our Christian families are held together. Held together by Christ and all of us are called to have a role to play. I love those families when even the little kids have got jobs to do in the house. You ever seen that? It isn't the mum just running around doing the headless chicken thing. Uh, but the kids are, you know, laying the table or helping to stack the dishwasher or taking the rubbish out. Or Everybody does something. It's about shared responsibility. I love that putting away the toys at the end of playtime. Great. Let's do something. But let's carry responsibility and let's share it. Church is like a family. It is a family. And there are no passengers. There are only participants. We cannot come to church and just sit in a pew, chair, wherever it is. Don't just sit and absorb it all. Ask God what he's asking you to do. Because everybody's got something. The reality is that in a family, when we don't function in isolation... We look to one another for love and encouragement. This means that we give love as well as hope that others will offer it to us. That means that when someone is sad, we offer comfort. When they're struggling, we help them to see the blessings that God surrounds them with. When they're drifting away from God's way of doing things, we lovingly offer guidance and encouragement away from the shadows and back to the light of the main path. Just like parents do with children. Think of that language that Paul used. But here's a bit of advice. There are good ways of doing this. And there are not so good ways of doing this. So a way to avoid would be this. You are wrong and I am right. Mm, That's not going to get you anywhere. Not listening to other people's ideas or opinions that might not agree with yours. If they're a young Christian and you've got years more experience... Think about the fellow next to the fire. How can you listen? Because we need to be listened to, don't we? And how can you show that there might be another perspective? And in the middle of all that, don't just expect everybody to think the way you do. Because when we respect one another, we learn to negotiate, to listen, to bend appropriately. I look at that word and all I can think about is that 
wailing woman from Australia from the Eurovision Song Contest on that bendy pole. Did anybody see it? Oh, if you've got a chance, look up Eurovision Song Contest Australia. She stood on the top of this pole that must have been, I don't know, and wailed. I mean, it was nice singing, but there was a bit of wailing went on. And then she just kept swinging about on this pole. I thought, how could she do that and not be sick? But she didn't. Anyway, bending to others isn't about not having boundaries, isn't about um, agreeing with everybody. It's about learning when to listen and when to speak. Because when we love one another, we value the contribution that each person has to make to the life of the church. When we, we're only on the second week of Alpha, uh, and they're, they're, take, they're catching on pretty fast, aren't they? So we did, we did the session today on who is Jesus, uh, and the final question is, who was Jesus? Was he a fraud, a madman, or who he said he was? And they all went, who he said he was? I said, okay, now you know what you need to work out is what implication has that got for your life? They're learning. But as they're learning, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to fall over. But we are in the forgiveness business. And in that, we are encouraging one another to live lives that are worthy of God. But we don't do that on our own. We do that through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. But we do it alongside other, more experienced Christians. And if you've been a Christian for 10 minutes longer than the person next to you, you're more experienced by 10 minutes but you are. This means walking alongside one another, and that is particularly crucial when somebody is learning to live the Christian life. We've got one guy on Alpha who's going to an Elim church in Derby called the Potter's House. I think it's an Elim church, but anyway, it's definitely Pentecostal. Um, I think he finds our Church of England church a bit... I never said that word. (laughs) But bless him, he's moved house, so he's he's coming to us and bringing his daughter. And... um, But he wants to do Alpha. He came to faith six months ago and he said, God has changed my life, but there are still lots of things that I'm struggling with. And I said, well, there will be because you've only been a Christian for six months. So cut yourself some slack and take it steady. Just learn on that journey. So the call is then on us rather than expect somebody to have it all sorted, because there are miraculous conversions. Have you ever seen them? You know, the people who were, I've only ever seen it on film, people who were, were addicted to all sorts of things, had terrible lives, came to faith and everything changed overnight. You've seen those films? Seen those people? Did that happen to you? No, didn't happen to me either. I thought I'd come to faith and I'd get skinny overnight because God would cure my desire to eat chocolate. Didn't work. <laughs> I've been a Christian a long time now. But the reality is that the rubbish that we've built up in our lives, God wants to heal and restore us, but it takes time. And so for us, who have been Christians a bit longer, as we walk alongside others, we need to be patient, to be loving. We need to have appropriate boundaries. It's okay to say this far and no further. But we need to let other people make mistakes. Do you ever learn from somebody else's mistakes? No, you only ever learn from your own, don't you? You might have been coming to church for years or you might have, and, and your faith hasn't really grown much. I don't know that would happen so much in this church. You might have been through the mill and learned some hard lessons which helped you to grow and mature in your faith, but whatever you've got together, it makes a difference. 
it makes a difference when you share it. When somebody says, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z, you can say, been there, done that. That's hard. There have been times when I've mentored other people, and as I've done that, I've learned a huge amount about my faith along the way. Because when they start asking you questions, (laughs) it kind of makes you go, oh, okay. This was way before I ever thought about um, getting ordained, way before. I had to go away and do homework before I would meet for my next mentoring session just to make sure she didn't catch me out. But she still did. I want you to have a think for a minute about the people who support you now and have supported you in the past in your walk of faith. Just close your eyes for a second. It might be somebody who is no longer with us. It might be somebody who's sitting next to you. Just have a think about how they helped you. Can you picture them in your head? Think how important their listening and kindness and caring and gentle truthfulness helped you. Was it a good experience? Was it a good experience? Yeah. Lord, we thank you for those who walked alongside us in the past. May they in turn be an inspiration for us. Amen. If you're struggling today and you don't feel that you've got anybody to talk to, there are plenty of people who you can turn to here. I know certainly those of us sat down here will will give you the time that you need. If you, if you find them too scary, think about somebody else that you could talk to. You're not scary at all, I know that, but sometimes leadership can feel scary. You do not live your life in isolation. Your Christian life means that you are part of a family and we all need other people to help us with a prayerful Christian perspective because everybody needs help along the way. Have you ever seen a child learn to walk? How many times do they fall over before they get it right? Lots and lots. How many times do they fall over, ball, and stay down there and don't get back up again? It doesn't take long, does it, before they're back on their feet because they want to do it. That's good. It's good for you to get back on your feet, but I want you to think for a second, how do you help other people to get back up? How do you help somebody else to walk? How do you help somebody else in their walk? It isn't just about us finding people to help us, but how are we in turn doing that and being that for somebody else? Because in a community, there is mutuality. We are here for one another. How could you support somebody else as you in turn have been supported? Could you help someone navigate their way around reading the Bible? Because it can be really scary. We have one lady started Alpha last week. She said, I've got this beautiful Bible. And she showed me this beautiful Bible. It was lovely. So my mother-in-law's given me this Bible. Beautiful. She said, I've started at the front. And I'm like, oh. (laughs) By the time you get to Leviticus and Lamentations, you're going to be in big trouble. And I went, "Ah, can I just make a suggestion? Why don't you start with Jesus? (laughs) Start at the beginning of the New Testament instead. Read about Jesus. Read about his life and what he's got to tell you. Oh, well, I don't want to miss anything out, she said. I said, that's fine. But given that it's the new Bible and you've only just started reading, maybe this bit. Anyway, she came back this week. She said, I can't stop reading it. Maybe you could help someone learn to pray in a way that is not churchy, but real. Do you know what I mean by churchy prayers? (laughs) 
We've got a great lady who's training with us at the moment. She's as down to earth as you can get. She's got a wonderful Yorkshire accent. Uh, but the minute <clears throat> she's written some beautiful prayers, but her voice does this. Do you know what I mean? And I know that when I take her on one side and say, <clears throat> sweetie, just, just cut the churchy voice, she's going to go, I don't know what you mean. And I'm going to have to record it and play it her back. And then she's going to feel really self-conscious. But then it's going to change. Do you know what I mean by being churchy? Steve has a stunning capacity for being very down to earth to the point that you've shocked a couple of people on out front of you. But when you talk in real terms about how it is, it just stops, cuts all the rubbish out. Maybe you could encourage someone to join. What do you call your home groups? Life groups. Who's in a life group? Who isn't in a life group? Very little hands going up there. <laughs> Maybe you could encourage somebody to join a life group. Maybe you could say, I know it feels a bit scary and that they all know something and you're feeling a bit worried, but come with me, I'll look after you. Each of us have hard skills and soft skills. By, by hard skills, I mean uh, carpenter or uh, technician or guitarist. By soft skills, I mean um, uh, gifts of encouragement and love, uh, of listening, of being alongside each other. We've all got those skills that help one another on our journey with God. Think about how Jesus helped and asked the disciples to step out of their comfort zone and go and do things with his authority. Do you remember when he said, off you go, don't take a bag, <laughs> don't take any money, but off you go. What? Can you imagine today that would be the equivalent of saying, I want you to go out, don't take your phone. <laughs> Couldn't it? I can't not take my phone. What would happen if I didn't have my phone? When we do things with God's authority... When he sends us, when we are apostles and we go, it is out of our comfort zone. It must have been terrifying for them, yet as they stepped out in faith, God met them and exceeded their expectations. Each of us has something to offer. So I urge you to pray and ask God what it is he's asking you to do, and then to respond by doing it. Don't just think about it. Don't just think, oh, I need to pray a bit more. Think about that metaphor of putting your phone down. Okay, what is it you're calling me to do, God? Don't barge in. Don't go, oh, I know I'm going to save the world. I'm going to listen to everybody. I'm going to be marvellous. Just let it happen. Listen, encourage, and support one another. See what God is doing and lovingly join in. Walk alongside. Love. Don't condemn Offer hope, mercy, forgiveness, and grace. As it has been freely given to you, so freely share it with others. Because as you do, A, you're being obedient, and B, I have to tell you, you will be blessed. But that's not your motivation. Your motivation is to do because you're asked to do it. Because God calls you to do it. But you will be blessed. And I just want to draw your attention to the last verse. It says this, 
For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. When you walk alongside somebody else and you see them blossom and grow in the faith, they become your glory and your joy. You can't help but look at them and go, I helped that. God did it, but I was there too. Paul says it himself. Our hope is only in Christ. But when we see that same Christ alive and changing the lives of other people alongside, and we've been part of that journey, I can't begin to tell you how amazing that is. See what God is doing and join in. Amen. Perhaps if the worship team could come back, that'd be great. Thank you so much, Alicia, in inspiring and challenging us this evening. That, that's fantastic. So what, what could we do to respond to what Alicia has shared this evening? As we worship, let's, let's lay hold of something that Alicia has shared tonight in our response. I, I think she's inspired and challenged us as being sent ones. We are all sent ones in that respect, sent by Jesus. Who is it that we can draw alongside? Who is it that we can encourage? Um, who, who is it that we can, um, you know, sometimes we get a bit worried. Oh, I can't really say anything to them. They think I'm getting on their back or, 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 or I'm being judgmental. Alicia shared about that we share that with love and encouragement and the power of the spirit. But there's the power of us encouraging others, the power of us being released. And we're going to go from here. We spend 90% of our week as being scattered church. We're gathered now, but being scattered and encouraging and encouraging others. That's amazing, isn't it? Just So let's lay hold of that as we just conclude our evening. And uh, should we pray? Let's pray together. This is uh, a great challenge for us. And I don't know about you, but I, I sit through uh, messages and we know, we, we get up tomorrow and off we go and life goes on. But what is God going to say and do through you from what we've heard tonight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, Alicia's sharing and challenge and inspiration this evening. Now, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to stir something in, in me and in each of us. Who is the one or the someone or the some, the number of people that... You're calling us to encourage, to speak to, to draw alongside with, to bring them along to, uh, to, sp- to, 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 to pray for, you know, in family, home, and in the life of our church and the churches that maybe we represent when we come from other churches tonight here. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just tug at our hearts and tug at our minds now with a response. You know, Alicia shared about the whole thing about life, life groups. And the encouragement of in, encouraging others to draw together and be built up. The, the, the challenge of being in the, in the fire. Where are you in the fire? What a challenge tonight. And we come with our lives. Where are we in the fire? Where are you in the fire tonight? It's not so much about the church that you're in, but being with other believers and being amongst the flames of what's going on. We want to be found in the fire. Are you? Are you? So tonight, let's grasp what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us in encouraging somebody else, maybe getting back into the fire. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand together, shall we? In our prayerful response, let's keep our hearts open. And as we worship, let's give him our hearts and our lives and live for his glory. And then directly after, you're very welcome to come across at the Infusion Coffee House. speed.